Hear the word of God from John chapter 15. You can follow along on the screen or in your own Bible. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 21 and verses 26 through 27. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit He prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withered. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask what you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remained in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, Jesus, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love have no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friends. If you do what I command, what I command, no longer, call you servants because servants does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I've learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it will love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obey my teachings, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. This is the word of the Lord.
Thank you, Ruby. Good morning, I'm Danny, the uh, international student pastor here at Waypoint. I'm gonna grab my water. Um, Before I start the sermon, I'm gonna pray. Join with me in prayer. God, just be with us all this morning. For many of us, even this morning is the first time we heard the news of Caitlin's death. And and God, we just want to trust you and hear from your word this morning. May, May your words to your disciples and to us from Jesus' mouth, may they comfort us. And Spirit, just speak through me as I just share a little bit of, of reflection on Jesus teaching his disciples how to remain in the Father. God, we give this morning to you. Be with us. We thank you that you're with us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in a sermon series going through the Gospel of John. It's written by John, one of Jesus' disciples and one of his closest friends. So... I'm going to start this sermon by declaring that I have a black thumb. Some of you might have heard of a green thumb. Uh, green thumbs are people, people with a green thumb, I guess, is that what you call it? You call them green thumbs or people with a green thumb are good at gardening and planting and growing green stuff. My grandfather, 95 years old, still has a green thumb. He's growing all kinds of stuff. My uncle has a green thumb. My father-in-law has a green thumb, Uh, but it must not be genetic because Eric and I both don't have green thumbs. Actually, we have no ability to sustain any type of plant life. Uh, I have a black thumb. Basically, give me a pot and a plant in it, and it'll die within weeks. I don't know if I overwater it, underwater it. Uh, Actually, my uncle, who I said has the green thumb, and my father-in-law, who I married into that family, so I have it on both sides, my uncle used to give me pots. Now he gives me pots to give to my father-in-law, whom he only met one time 15 years ago at Maggie, four, yeah, 15 years ago at Maggie's first birthday. So they became friends, and 15 years later, they don't let me have the pot. They just pass them to each other through me. This is true. Um, I love plant life, and I'm grateful for gardeners and farmers, and I'm glad that God gives different gifts to different people. I... Um, And I'm glad that I'm not in charge of growing the wheat or raising the animals that it would take to feed all of us. Uh, I do have one story that helps me understand how plants work and a little bit of how pruning works. So we we lived in Raleigh for six years before we moved to Durham this past summer. And um, my neighbor, I don't know, these neighbors, you you just have that one neighbor that they're always complaining or whatever. They call the city of Raleigh and they tell them that this one shrub is blocking their way of making a right turn. And there's only five houses in our cul-de-sac. So I kind of knew who it was. So the city of Raleigh gives me this thing saying, I have X amount of days to, to get this shrub down. So I'm angry. So I don't even have a chainsaw. I just have a circular saw. And if any of you know anything about it, it's not a good idea to get the cord out. And, but I go out and I cut this really pretty tree. It kind of had the greenish purple leaves. I don't even know what kind it is, but really pretty shrub tree thing. I don't even know if it's a tree or shrub, but it was pretty. The previous owners had a green thumb and I inherited this property. So I just, I hack this thing down in a rage. And when, even when you're using the, the circular saw, like the, the tree's coming in, you know, so I'm just like, the tree's almost falling on me. I'm just hacking this thing. When it's done, I'm like, oh no, I killed it. I mean, it, it was just, just a dead looking tree to me. 
I had no idea. Like three months later, the thing grew more beautiful. Like by a year later, I didn't understand how plants work at all. So that's, that's my background. And in, in light of my agricultural failures, um, so it's, it's hard for me to get garden analogies like the one we see in Jesus. But I think that one, maybe God allowed me to do that so that I could see a little bit of what he's talking about with pruning. Um, now, just before, and we're looking at John 15 this morning, but just before that in, in John 14, which Pastor Lawrence preached on last week, um, just before Jesus declares that he's this true vine and the father's the gardener, he tells the disciples to their dismay that he's leaving. And they're like, what? Wait, you're going to be the military king that's going to establish the kingdom and, and conquer the Romans. That's what they think. He's like, no, I'm leaving. But it's better because I'm leaving you my peace and I'm leaving you my spirit, the Holy Spirit. And he, he uses this word that Pastor Lawrence talks about that means there's no real good way to translate it in English. It can mean counselor, helper, guide, advocate. And he says, I'm leaving you with my spirit, the Holy Spirit. God himself is going to dwell among you. The Holy Spirit will dwell among you. And then he says, come, now let us leave. So John doesn't give us much more than that. He just, Jesus just says, come, let us leave. So if you, if you look at the John account and put it in perspective with Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it looks like they leave the upper room and they walk in the night and they're going to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus does his final prayer before he's arrested and then, and then executed, crucified. So as they're walking, we don't know exactly, maybe he's telling them about vines because they're heading to this, this garden, this, this vineyard where they, there's, there's maybe olive trees or other types of trees, fruit trees. Uh, as they're walking, he tells them this, and this is where we get this morning. And he, and he starts off by saying, I'm the true vine and my father is the gardener. So what do we learn in this first declaration? I'm the true vine. So Jesus says, I'm the true vine. And if you look at that word true, it's the same true as, as he just told them, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So it's, it's the same true. So he insert, he doesn't just say, I'm the vine. He says, I'm the true vine, using the same word that, that he just used when he declared he's the way, the truth, and the life. Also, this is the last I am statement of Jesus in, recorded in John. We talked about the I am statement in a previous sermon where when Jesus says the words, I am, he's basically saying, I am Yahweh of the Old Testament. I am him. And that's why they want to execute him. So a lot's going on even in that first statement. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Now, any Old Testament, any good Jewish kid growing up, like all the disciples were, would know that in the Old Testament, God is always the gardener and Israel is the vine. I'm going to quickly look at some Old Testament passages. And these are passages after Israel has done bad stuff. So God calls Abraham and he calls the people and he raises up this people and they come out of Egypt and, and they get land and they're supposed to have this kingdom that's supposed to glorify God and be a light to the nations around them. And they continually fail. They continually turn from God to idols. So after hundreds of years of failures and God's mercy on them, finally their land, be, God allows foreign armies to invade their land and take it away. And these are some of the prophecies the the words that the prophets say to the people as they're losing their land. Look at Psalm 80. It says, Hear us, shepherd of Israel. This is the people crying out. You who led Joseph like a flock. You who sit enthroned between the cherubim. So they're crying out to God. Awaken your might and come save us. Restore us, O God. Make your face shine upon us that we might be saved. Restore us, God Almighty. Make your face shine upon us 
And then in verse 8, it says, so it repeats that. And then it, then it says, you transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove them out of the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. So you see, God's the planter, God's the farmer, God's the gardener, and they're the vine. The mountains were covered with its shade and the mighty cedars with its branches. Its branches reached as far as the sea, its shoots as far as the river. So God blessed them and made them this great nation. Now let's look at Jeremiah, the prophecy later when they failed and God allows foreign armies to, to come and invade them because they didn't obey God for hundreds and hundreds of years. Israel was holy to the Lord. The first fruits, notice the agriculture analogies of his harvest. I had planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt wild vine? Although you washed yourself with soap um, and used abundance of cleansing powder, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the Lord. I actually realized I just jumped to um, you know, this Jeremiah passage. And then if you go to Ezekiel 15, the whole book of Ezekiel 15, the whole chapter, it's a short chapter, just declares that Jerusalem is a useless vine. Then if you keep going in Ezekiel, it says your mother was like a vine, talking about the Israelite people again. And it, it keeps going on. And in verse 12, it talks about the vine was uprooted in fury and thrown down to the ground. The desert wind dried up its fruit and tore off its strong branches so that they withered and was destroyed by fire. So you see when Jesus is talking, when Ruby just read, there's this vine that God can destroy, but he can also sustain it. And so when Jesus makes this analogy, there are direct, they, they, would, they would understand what he's talking about. The disciples would be, oh. But the difference is, is Jesus is now saying he's the vine. In Hosea 10, there's another, um, another powerful proclamation it says, how prosperous Israel is, a luxuriant vine loaded with fruit. So Israel was like this vine loaded with fruit. But the richer the people get, the more pagan altars they build. So this would have all been in the background of the disciples' minds as Jesus is telling them this. The more bountiful their harvests, the more beautiful their sacred pillars, the hearts of the people are fickle. They are guilty and must be punished. The Lord will break down their altars and smash their sacred pillars. Um, and then I'm going to jump to verse 4. It says, They spout empty words and make covenants they don't intend to keep. So injustice springs up among them like, a, like, poison, like poisonous weeds in a farmer's field. So they go from being prosperous, vine loaded with fruit, to a poisonous weed. Now let's jump back to John 15, verse 2. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, fruit he prunes, so that it will be more fruitful. So just a couple of quick observations is one, Jesus is saying, I'm the true vine. You guys failed. You couldn't do it. You failed, but it's okay because I'm here. I am the true vine. All you could, your, your faithfulness was, fell short. And God was the loving gardener who loved you. But after hundreds and hundreds of years of failing short, you, you turn in, falling short, you turned into this poisonous weed in a farmer's field. 
But Jesus is saying he's the true vine. Israel the vine failed. They could not stay attached to God. They continually turned to idols and other gods, even after his mercy after mercy over hundreds of years toward them. But the good news for the disciples walking with Jesus that night, and the good news for us right here, right now, is that Jesus is here. And it's not on our own merit to be a good vine. Like, we don't have to do it. Jesus did it for us. He is the vine. We've been learning throughout the book of John that he's the bread of life. He's the light of the world. He's the gate we enter to have life. He's the good shepherd. He's the resurrection and the life. He's the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. And we learn today, we hear today, he is the true vine. And we can be clean because of him. Jesus says in verse 3, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. When they believed in his name, they were clean. Going back to the Jeremiah passage we looked at earlier. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest, verse 3. Then at the end, it said in verse 21, I had planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt wild vine? Although you wash yourself with soap and use an abundance of cleansing powder, the stain of your guilt is still before me declares the Lord. You see what Jesus is doing here? He's saying the, the guilt that the, that the people, you know, Peter, James, John, these are their people. These are their stories. They knew these stories. The guilt could never be cleaned. So after Jesus declares that he's, that God's the gardener, he's the vine, we're the branches, he says, you're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Jesus is declaring them clean. We are like the people of the time of Jeremiah. We need to be cleansed. We are guilty. We are broken. We're sinful. When we get blessing from God, we turn to idolatry. We all know we need to be clean. We all know we need to be forgiven. Let's, let's think about Jesus' conversation in John 14. We looked at this last week, where Jesus is talking about being clean. Jesus, um, he's talking to them, and he's like, you got to be clean, and Peter comes back with being Peter, and it says, Jesus answers, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hand and head's, head as well. Jesus answered, those who have a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean. You know, he's telling them that they are clean, and, and this is a reinforcement of that in verse 3. So he says, you're already clean because of the word he's spoken to us. Amen. So we're clean. We're going to look at this again at the, at the end of the sermon. But then he goes on to say this, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I had no idea when I chopped that thing down that because it was still connected to the roots and the vine that the, it would grow again. And I think Jesus is saying, hey, have any of you ever felt like life's just hacked you down? You're just down to nothing? You, you can grow again in Christ. You can grow again in Christ. So he says, remain in me. So I want to think about what does it mean to remain. The Greek word is meno. Uh, the NIV translates it to remain. Some translations say stay, reside, abide is kind of the traditional English translation. I thought the word abide is cool because there's the word abode, like a humble abode, you know, like a place to live. 
So remain, stay, reside, abide. It, it, this word, this Greek word has connotations to live, to continue to exist, to last, to persist, to wait for, to keep on. All those things are embodied in this idea. We remain in God. We persist in Him. We dwell with Him. We live with Him. Keep on keeping on in Jesus. I don't know when I first heard that phrase, keep on keeping on. I think it's in a 70s song or something, but I like it. Sometimes people ask me, how you doing? And I'll just be like, I'm keeping on keeping on, right? But I, I think we... We keep on keeping on in the stuff of this world, but we forget to remain in Jesus. It's so easy. There's a, this is kind of silly, but I think we need some humor this morning. There's these comedians I love named Rhett and Link, and they're actually from this area. They went to state. They grew up in like Bowie's Creek or something, you know, and they're, they're internet phenomenons. They're on Jay Leno. I mean, uh, not Jay Leno. I'm dating myself. Uh, what's his name? <laughs> Jimmy Fallon. Uh, and they're just these, I think they used to be engineers. You know, they, they just are these funny guys, but they have this video called Rub Some Bacon On It. And basically, like, if anything bad in life happens, just rub some bacon on it. And it, it's a humorous thing. You know, it's like your car got stolen, rub some bacon on it. This happens. And, it, and it's funny, and it, it, it makes us, they, they, in their humor, they bring to reality the, the tough things of the world. And I'm, I'm glad they exist. My kids and I love to watch them. Um, but... I really feel like when these things happen, good or bad, we don't rub bacon on it. We remain in Jesus. When times are good, remain in Jesus. When times are bad, remain in Jesus. When times seem impossible, remain in Jesus. With the news we heard Friday, it, it seems impossible. Like, I'll be honest, I was preparing the sermon and I heard the news and I was like, I, I was feeling bad about me and I'm like, I'm not even the parent. When times seem impossible, let's remain in Jesus. That's what Jesus is telling us. What's our other hope? To remain in the things of the world that will fall apart? I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like the branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is from my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. We're called to bear fruit. We're called to remain in him. Now I'm going to tell you one more agriculture story. So I grew up in South Florida, very hot. Um, and Summer between eighth grade and ninth grade, I wanted to get a car. So my dad said, okay, get a job. My neighbor ran a lawn care service. So I, he's like, I'll pay you. I think I got paid $5 an hour, maybe. And I spent all summer, I'd get up at like seven in the morning and it was three guys in the front of the truck. Like my neighbor, his worker, who was the weed eater guy and me, you know, those old trucks with the bench. I don't even think it had a seatbelt. And we had to carry all this stuff behind us. And we, my job was because in the summer the grass grew faster so they needed one more person the two of them the, my neighbor the older guy rode the lawnmowers the other guy did like all the weed eating my job was as soon as we got to a property i had to run around that property real fast and pick up any toys sprinkler heads uh, all kinds of stuff so that they could run the lawnmowers and the weed eaters without breaking stuff 
they weren't worried about the people stuff. They were worried about breaking their equipment. Um, so I had kind of a, so it's really hot and I'm, and I'm only getting paid like four bucks an hour, but I had to do this. But in South Florida, like a lot of people from New York and New Jersey and stuff moved there in the 50s and 60s and they were so excited, they planted all these fruit trees. So there's like all these fruit trees. Well, no, the people who moved out, those people like left and new people inherited the house. Well, none of them take care of these fruit trees. So there's just like nasty oranges everywhere. And I got to pick these things up or at least push them to the side so that they don't run over them with the lawnmower, you know, and house after house. So I had to kind of come up with better systems, but there's just nasty, ugly oranges because it look nothing like the oranges that you see in the, in the store. And that's not fruit that will last. Um, I don't know how they get the oranges to look like they look like in the store. I'm, some of you who are kind of into health food, don't, don't tell me, don't spoil it for me. Uh, but that's ugly fruit. That's not fruit that lasts. That's not fruit that anybody wants to eat. Um, it's good for nothing. It's basically, you couldn't even make juice out of these things. So in light of this agriculture example and, the, and Jesus teaching, I'm just going to jump right into a couple application points. This, this passage, actually, I could probably preach six or seven sermons. I mean, Jesus calls us his friend in this. We're friends with God. Wow. That's, that's a sermon series. Jesus says, my joy is complete, as Pastor Josh shared about at the beginning. Like, that's a whole other sermon. But I'm, ju I'm just going to give us a few things that we can look at and reflect on this morning. The first thing I want us to think about is acknowledge the gardener and the true vine. Apart from being attached to the vine, we can do nothing. Like a Christmas tree in your home, it can last without roots for a few weeks, and then it's going to die. Right? It has to be attached to its roots to thrive. They go to Western North Carolina, they chop it down, send it to Lowe's, or one of those overpriced places in a parking lot, and you buy it. We put it in our home, put some water in there, we buy this little mixture at Lowe's too that t maybe ha does nothing and it tells us it'll last longer. But the tree is not attached to the root, so it's, it's going to die. And my question for all of us this morning, are we functioning like a beautiful Christmas tree? Like the tree in Rockefeller Center or the tree at the Biltmore House? It's going to die. You can cover lights, you can put stuff up, but it has no roots. It can last a little while. It's going to die. Are we like that tree? We look great on the outside, but we know that deep down we have no roots and we're slowly dying. The good news is we don't have to do that. We can connect to the vine. Are, are you like, for a more modern audience, are you like a laptop? You can rely on your own battery and a laptop can rely on its own battery literally until it's done, right? I mean, they might go into power saving mode or something, but if you walk by and I'm working on my laptop and my battery has 4%, it's still doing the same thing it did when it had 100%. But it's all of a sudden it's going to die. Black, blank screen. It has to be attached to a power cord to work right, work for the long haul. Would any of you buy a phone or a laptop with no cord? I mean, if there was like no way to ever recharge it, you wouldn't buy it. Because it's, you wouldn't spend $600 or whatever on, I heard the phones now are like 1000 on the, the new Galaxy or the new iPhone. If it didn't have a way to charge it, you need, it needs to be continually connected to that power source. 
So I plead with all of you, I plead to myself, acknowledge that there's a gardener and that there's a true vine and we have to be attached to it. That's how our joy is complete. The next one is be clean. 600 years before Jesus was born, God promised through the prophet Ezekiel that he would make a way for us to be forever clean. And I, I want to go back to what I said earlier. Those early chapters of Ezekiel, God's telling them why this vine was cut off and why they're not producing fruit and all the blessings God gave them and, and how they continually disobeyed God year after year after year, king after king. And, and God finally just allowed these foreign armies to invade them. So 600 years before Jesus is born, Isaiah makes, I mean, Ezekiel makes this prophecy. And this is actually the reference for, that Jesus says to Nicodemus um, and he, in John chapter 3 when we looked at Jesus meeting Nicodemus. And it says, this is a long passage, so I'm just going to quickly go through it, but it's, it's so powerful. This is 600 years before Jesus. Even though the people failed God, God was faithful. He says, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you, and I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. I love the New Living Translation. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. Now, there's only one way this is going to happen. It's going to happen in Jesus. And we know that because Jesus actually is referring to this as he's teaching his disciples. And you will live in Israel, the land I gave your ancestors long ago, and you will be my people and I will be your God. I will cleanse you of all your filthy behavior. I will give you good crops and gra of grain. Notice the agriculture analogies. I will send no more famines to the land. I will give you a great harvest from your fruit, from your fruit trees and fields. Notice again the agriculture analogies. And never again will the surrounding na nations be able to scoff at your lands for its famine. Then jumping to verse 33. This is what the sovereign Lord says. When I cleanse you from your sins, notice he's going back from cleansing them and the agriculture analogies with the land. I will repopulate your cities and the ruins will be rebuilt. The fields that used to lie empty and desolate in plain view of everyone will again be farmed. He's literally talking about a desert. Like imagine the Sahara Desert or something like a place with nothing, no life, all of a sudden having life. And when I bring you back, people will say, this former wasteland is now like the Garden of Eden. The abandoned and ruined cities now have strong walls and they're filled with people. Then the surrounding nations that survive will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the remains and replanted the wasteland. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will do what I say. And we believe that this process started with Jesus Christ. When he's telling the disciples, when he talks to Nicodemus, he's saying, I am beginning this process. I am here. I am the vine. Israel was the failed vine. I am the true vine. This can happen. And now the world isn't like this. This is a picture of what Jesus started, and we're in the process. We as his church get to be part of this. There will, there will be a day when when all our joy will be complete and we will know Jesus fully and the, the brokenness and the sinfulness of the world, the curse will be completely restored and we look forward to that day. But Jesus is telling his disciples, that day is here because I'm starting it. I'm bringing in my kingdom. God is doing this right now through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit through the church, us. 
Yes, us, the church. Jesus makes us clean and is using us, even us in our brokenness, in our messed upness. I don't even know if that's a word, messed upness, but it sounds good, right? Is using us to turn a wasteland into a beautiful garden. He's doing that within us. He's pruning us. But if you, if you get a bunch of pretty plants and flowers, then it becomes a beautiful garden. We get to be part of doing this. In John 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus that he cleans us and we can be born again. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Nicodemus asks, How can someone be born when they are old? Uh, surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. And he's making a reference back to the Ezekiel passage that Nicodemus should have known, that God was going to cleanse and make things new and have a way to clean the people truly. And that's Jesus. And then he, the spirit was going to come so we could continue in this cleanliness. There's only one way to truly that we can be clean. Let Jesus clean you. You're going to attach yourself to something or some things, money, career, stuff, power, family, exercise, self-control. These things will never fully clean you. They will never fully satisfy the need that is deep inside your soul to be fully clean and to be fully known. Only Jesus can make you fully clean. And only he can know everything about you and still love you. Attach yourself to the vine, the true vine, Jesus. And then he'll reorder every part of your life. He'll put money and career and stuff and family and relationships, even exercise and self-control. He'll put all these things back into order when you're attached to the vine. Are we like that laptop that can run for a while and run all the software for a little while? Or that Christmas tree that looks really great, but it's, it's dying there's only one way to truly live, and that's to be attached to Jesus. If you don't know Jesus today, today is a new day. Call upon his name. Attach yourself to Jesus. Every person in this room, there was a moment where we said, God, I can't live for myself. I have to be attached to you. And if you're the person in here who, like, you, you know Jesus, you, were, you feel like you're not attached anymore. You're literally running your life the power cord's over there and everything looks good and you, you, you know your battery's on 2% and you're just pretending like it's not. Turn to Jesus. Remain in him. Abide in the vine. Number three, remain in the true vine. Leon Morris, a New Testament scholar, says, fruitfulness in the Christian life is the result not of human achievement, but of abide, abiding or remaining in Christ." That's his summary of John chapter 15. Remember in John 14, just before Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would come, he says, if you love me, keep my commands. That's how we produce right fruit. We keep his commands. And I, I know sometimes people think, well, how do we keep his commands? How does all this work together? How do we remain in the vine? How do we keep his commands? I love this quote from Los Angeles area pastor named Rankin Wilborn. He says, only union with Christ allows us to read the commands of the New Testament, the commands of Jesus, like in James, or Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Only union with Christ allows us to read these commands, not as a crushing burden, 
but as an uplifting possibility. Pruning is going to come. I don't have time to go through it, but the passage about pruning, like a coach prunes his player, his team, right? Or her team. Do the players like waking up at five in the morning and being, you know, doing the exercises or whatever? But the results happen when you're, when you're pruned. I guess for my UNC fans out there, the results happen, right? Because your team was ready. Um, I live in North Carolina now. I have to make a basketball reference when the big game happens, right? I grew up in SEC football land, so. Um, no one wants to be pruned, but there's no way for fruit to flourish without being pruned. Then there's this element of the world. I don't, I don't have time to go into this morning, but the world will try to convince you that you can make it without being attached to the vine and, without God's pr- and that God's pruning is not necessary. They will try to convince you that your battery is huge, like a Tesla. You know, like you got a Tesla battery on your laptop, so you can last as long as you want. And that you don't need to be attached to God. You don't need the power source. You can be fine without it. There's this dialogue at the end, in the middle of this section where Jesus says, if the world hates you, keep you in mind that it hated me first. Um, I don't have time to dig deep, but I, as you read that, I want, I want you to reflect on this. I want to say this. Don't believe the lies of the world. Don't turn to idols. Jesus has cleansed you from this. Remain, abide, keep on keeping on in Jesus. How are we going to do this? It's, it's going to be hard. So let me, let's look at this big picture again. So there's a gardener, God. There's a true vine, Jesus. There's branches, us. Imagine just a branch by itself. Like no matter how long it sat there, it's never going to produce fruit, ever. I mean, it might have the illusion that it, for a little while, if you put it in some water and don't have roots, it'll, but it, it's not going to produce fruit. That's us. So I want you to think about this gardener, Jesus, the true vine, Branches that are producing amazing fruit because they're remaining in, in, in Jesus. And then think about that we're friends with Jesus, that our joy is complete in Jesus. All this awesome stuff that this passage conveys, in addition to telling us, giving us this comfort that we can remain in, in Jesus. All right, so at this point, some of you might be like, okay, Danny, you just dumped a dump truck of information on me. How can we remain in Jesus? How can we remain in the, front, the vine? So I want to give you three phrases. One, love each other. Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so my joy would be complete and that your joy may be complete. That, sorry, that my, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And then he goes on and he ends in, in verse 17, in 16, he says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Notice how Jesus breaks the teaching of the Holy Spirit's role in our lives. He introduces it in John 14, and then he brings it back in John 16, But in the middle, he teaches us to love each other. Notice that Paul does the same thing in Corinthians. The love chapter is is sandwiched in the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. 
So there's something that maybe they don't want us to forget that loving each other is part is the way part of the way that the fruit the spirit is manifested in us as believers, how it works in us and through us. I love this quote from New Testament scholar Tom Wright. He's he's commenting on John 15. At the heart of it all is the humility that comes from knowing who's in charge. You didn't choose me, I chose you, Jesus says in verse 16. This is Tom Wright. I was once asked, which religion would I choose if I could? I pointed out that the idea of choosing your religion was a mistake in the first place. Religions are not items on the supermarket shelf that we can pick and choose, though many today try to run their lives that way. Or if they are, you'd have to, you'd have to say that following Jesus wasn't a religion. It's a personal relationship of love and loyalty to the one who has loved us more than we, begin, than we can begin to imagine. And the test of that love and loyalty remains in the simple, profound, dangerous, and difficult command, love one another. We love one another. We, we need to love one another. When times are good, when times are hard, and when times seem impossible. This week, again, times seem impossible. We have to be there to love one another. This is how Jesus set it up. We also need to put the sails up. This is kind of a cheesy analogy, but I, th I think it's good. The Holy Spirit is like a wind. I would argue that we just put our sails up and the Spirit guides us and directs us. It's not like we're rowing and rowing and rowing. We need to yield to the Holy Spirit. And Pastor Lawrence is going to actually teach on this next week. But I feel like how this happens is we love each other. And then Jesus gives us this, tell, brings us back to the Spirit. So I'm not going to go into that this morning. But I, I do want to acknowledge that how we abide in the vine is through loving each other and through putting ourselves up and letting the Spirit guide us. And letting the Spirit be our guide as individuals and as a church, trusting in His Spirit, who established the Church of Jesus Christ to be our guide. And we'll look at that next week. And finally, live in His grace. John 15, 3, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Jesus reminds us that we are clean by His grace. He has washed us and we are clean and new. God will always see us, the ones He has chosen, as clean and new. I have a friend, a freshman at Duke from Kenya, having a rough year. He hit his second semester. I just met with him for lunch. He's a Christian. He's like, I'm really struggling. How can I keep the commands of God? How can I obey God? I'm, I'm doubting everything. And I, I said, Patrick, I'm praying for you, brother. Thank you for being honest with me. And I said, Patrick, what if you knew that at Duke, like you were going to graduate and you were going to have an A average and you, you just knew that no matter what, it was going to happen. It was complete. Would that make you less stressed out right now? He's like, that would be great. And I said, in Christ, it's so much better than that. It's done. It's finished. We, we passed. We graduated. We got the, the, it's done. We don't have to, we can abide in him because we live in His grace, because it's finished. We can obey Him because it's finished. I'm going to end with this. Our, sorry, I'm going to say this. Our joy is complete because it's finished. We can have joy. The fruit of the Spirit is what? 
love, and joy, and peace, and patience. How can we, as Christians, the fruit we produce is that. That's what it means to be like Christ. I don't have time to go in. I'd love to teach us, preach a sermon on the fruit of the Spirit. Let me end with this passage from Titus 3, verses 3 through 7. I feel like this ties everything Jesus taught in, the, in one passage. At what, sorry, at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. See how Paul's bringing us back to the teaching of Jesus? Whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having hope in the eternal life. This is our hope. This is Caitlin's hope. This is all of our hope. Let's pray.